Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Steve, and joining me is my co-host, Kyle. Say hello, Kyle. Good evening, everyone. And I am no longer in Florida. I am back in Ohio. Yay. But anyway, um, my family and I, we actually had a pretty good time down in Florida. We did both Disney and Universal, and I will say that they are enforcing the mask rules at both. Uh, Universal will allow you to wear gaiters if you choose so. Disney will not. But either way, we did not see anybody arguing with that. So it was a little different wearing the mask, but it's for a good reason. And not only that, but they have hand sanitizer stations everywhere. And then some of the rides, they actually will squirt hand sanitizer on your hands before you be on the rides. So they take, they're taking this pandemic very very seriously down there, and they want everybody to still have a good time. So, uh, before we begin, um, you said, well, we were both just speaking about this about two minutes ago, and I'll let you go ahead and make this uh, announcement, kind of a, a sad announcement. Well, not kind of. It is a sad announcement. But go ahead, well, sir. sad announcement that former NFL Hall of Famer, and part-time professional wrestler with the Horsemen and L.A. Ram, Pittsburgh Steeler, Carolina Panther, Kevin Green passed away at some point today looking like he had a uh, heart attack at the age of 58. So, of course, our prayers and condolences to his family, and we have lost another one. Yep, and like I was telling another wrestling friend a little bit ago when I first found out about it, I said, you know, I said he he had more one-offs than anything else, but he had a lot of respect for the business. He so, got his first taste in the WrestleMania 11 main event, and in the NFL offseason, he was Mongo's tag team partner. When Mongo turned on him, joined the Horsemen. And Mongo turned on him, and, and that's that says something. He was actually part of a, you want to call it a major angle. But somebody joined the Horsemen, besides Paul Roma, anyway. But, yeah, somebody joined the Horsemen, that's a pretty big deal. And for him to turn on Kevin Green like that, turn on his buddy, his actual buddy, and I'm pretty sure they were still buddies afterwards because we know how it is. But that was that was a pretty big deal, and I remember also with Kevin Green when he got uh, he was a uh, I want to say an unrestricted free agent, and he went to the Panthers, and the Panthers said no more wrestling. But well, he he also teamed with Rowdy Piper and Ric Flair, and took on the NWO Wolfpack at Slamboree in '97. Won a one of the NFL stars' best matches prior to the main event of what we're talking about tonight with Bill Goldberg. Right. And Kevin Green, he never tried to make himself out to be bigger than the business. He wanted to be part of it because he loved the business and he had great respect for it. He just wanted to be a part of it. He wasn't trying to say, put me in the main event. 
you know. But yeah, like you said, our thoughts and our prayers, our condolences go out to uh, Kevin Green's family, you know, during this hard time for them. So you know, we lost, we've lost another one, you know, uh, during the past week. I mean, we've lost Pat Patterson. You know, obviously that's the biggest of the names, but Pat Patterson, we lost Zeus, and now we've lost Kevin Green. So, um, and before we move on, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give our contact and listening info. If anyone would like to call us live during the broadcast, it's area code 319-527-6089. You can email us at armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash armchairbookingpodcast, or on Twitter at bookingarmchair. You can listen to us on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And still attempting to get us on other things like Amazon Prime, because Amazon Prime has podcasts. I don't know if I can get that. I think that would be pretty good for us, because they have a pretty huge base. I think you've done more than enough to get the podcast out. Yes. And... With us having a larger listener base, we can also do things like help out Wrestling Mean Selena Dean. Her GoFundMe is still going. Unfortunately, they have not raised enough uh, money yet in order to pay the bill. You know, they've reached their goal, really. Uh, but if you would like to help Mean Selena, mean Selena Dean's mother out with her GoFundMe, you can you can go to GoFundMe.com uh, slash the F slash the best mom fund if you cancer, you know, or just do a search for Donna's Chemo Fund. I actually put that in the description this time because I knew I was missing something. And I tried making hyperlinks for everything this week when I was setting up the podcast, and it was not taken. It was saying there was too many characters. When I took the hyperlinks out, the characters were fine. So there's something about the hyperlinks that the software with Block Talk Radio, it's not talking very well. That's the best way to put it. And so did have I missed anything, Kyle? No, I think you got everything. Yep, and I do want to, once again, we always do this, give a shout-out to Jordan Garber. He's been such a great friend of our show, and he's always helped us out. So shout-out to you, Jordan. I haven't had a chance to talk to you this week because I've been busy. And I know, Kyle, you've been busy and, you know, taking care of your family. So that's how we roll, and we wouldn't change anything. Well, so, while you were in Florida wearing masks, we were up here in our parts unknown being COVID positive and defeating that virus. So I have the antibodies naturally and hopefully won't catch it again. Well, I hope not either. You know, cause when you told me that you had it, I was like, Oh, but, yeah. but it sounds like, you know what? It can't, can't keep you down. Can't keep you or the family down. And that's a good thing. So we get to talk about Starcade 1998, which is the first pay-per-view show I went to as a wrestling fan. And the only time the military considered me AWOL <laughs> in my um, <laughs> So it, um, it is historical in my mind for two reasons. And, and, of course, always the memory being reported to AWOL and having 
military personnel looking for you on base when you're at a wrestling event. So got to love uh, being under the control of a joint service branch and them losing <laughs> their work and he's doing what? Yeah. <laughs> um. And I mean, I I have some, I have a couple of uh, quick stories kind of related to something like that, and we'll we'll let you tell your your full story uh, before we, before we end the podcast. By the way, I've I've set us up for two hours. In case we need the time, yeah, I don't know if I told you that before, but <laughs> no, but in case we need the time, I set us up for two hours tonight. So, uh, just real quick, we, one, go ahead. We got to our base, and during all the in processing, you meet a lot of new people who are also reporting to the base at the same time you are, and you kind of form your little groups based on. Who you, who you like, um, who's talkative, who's who's not, and um, I sat. A, I got partnered with a girl who turned out to be the guy, first person, um, and I was the best man in his second wedding. His wife was right across from me in all our in-processing. And I may have been a smart aleck at this time. It is complete rumor and innuendo. I never had a smart mouth at any point in my life. And I would make uh, comments during briefings to make them more entertaining. So um, (laughs) I got invited to their house for Thanksgiving, and we did Thanksgiving, and we all played video games, and we we did uh, wrestling and football. And while we were there, they asked if I was into wrestling. And I said I was, with no shame. And we got tickets to Sparkade through Ticketmaster, And I put in for leave, so I volunteered to work on Christmas Day because I I was single. I didn't have any family. And I asked for Starcade off. And what we did is we went down to – I put in my leave form three weeks in advance. I had my arrangements to work Christmas Day get the next day off uh, well actually it was two days later off for Starcade and we were going to take public transportation down to D.C. and we were going to do sightseeing because we were all brand new to the area and walk around and then walk into the MCI center where the event was held and that is what we did and it is unfortunate that the shift supervisor who I turned my lead form in, he was uh, not tremendously motivated at this point in his career. 
delegated. Which, which branch of service was he? I had the Air Force guy. Did he have a mustache? Yes. Glasses? Yes. Did he work the same part-time job that Rich and I worked? Yes. Okay, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, he, that dude, yeah, he was about, what, two months away from retirement? Yeah, he just did not care. <laughs> I know exactly and who you're talking about. He delegated the shift assignment responsibility to a Canadian woman who will be the subject of future stories to include prank wars that were a terrible idea for her. By the way, I actually got along really good with her, so we did not. I know you didn't. I know, Rich, and I know Rich didn't for some reason. Because but anyway, he would call call Rich in to work, and then when he showed up, tell him to go home, and that that was his day off. And she, she did a lot of dirty things to to him, and she did not like me because I was eighteen. And I did not find her as attractive as everyone else did. And, yeah. Anyway. Anyway, my lead form got misplaced by the Air Force guy that was my boss. Never got provided to the Canadian woman that was not my boss, but was doing all the scheduling. So when I was in D.C., getting ready for Starcade, they were knocking on my door because I did not report to work on time. And then because I was two hours late, uh, military police and more people came knocking on the door and they started interviewing people in the dorms and, you know, uh, what they do, trying to figure out where I was. And So by the time I got back, from Starcade, which was sometime around 11 o'clock, they all bum-rushed me when I came in the door because they thought I was AWOL. And I go, no, I have my leave form. It's right here. And I was supposed to be off. And eventually the shift supervisor, I had to call him at whatever time at night and he said oh you're fine we knew you had leave but that didn't stop them from reporting me AWOL yeah and that your section chief yeah he delegated everything because I also remember somehow he delegated um, part of the scheduling for your particular uh, job y'all's particular you know um position, I guess, but lack of better terms, it somehow got put down all the way to one of the lowest ranking people, and so she scheduled herself and all her buddies for weekends off, and everybody else uh, had to be there to the point where our friend Rich, before he switched to the other shift, he wasn't getting any days off because there was nobody to cover him. Right. Because, Yep, and so that actually with the Canadian girl – um, and I also know some things about her, too, that I'll tell you. I mean, not that she's ever listening, but she was going through some personal issues at the time because I actually had to tell Rich to kind of um, kind of uh, 
a layoff over a little bit because I uh, I knew she was going through some personal stuff. And when he found out he did lay off, he's like, oh, I didn't know about all that. And I was like, exactly. So anyway, she she was also the first Canadian person we ever met who was afraid of driving in the snow. Now that I do remember. <laughs> so um, now before we get really sidetracked with all the military stories, <laughs> we're talking about Star K 1998. The one that Kyle almost went to jail for. Now, Kyle, do you think this show was worth going to jail for? This was my favorite wrestling show that we that I happened to got, go to see live. So I, I am a big fan of indie wrestling. I go when I can. But as far as live performances, this was my favorite. And you know we all we all know what the main focus of this particular show is. Uh, everybody knows the outcome of the main event. Okay, any wrestling fan, any wrestling historian knows what happened uh, with the main event. But what they don't really realize is the rest of the card was actually pretty decent. You even look at it on paper, and it's like, you know what? I'd watch this. I mean, I'd watch this now. Well, obviously I am because it's on right now. I'm, I'm literally watching some of it while we're talking about it. Like the the first thing live, one, the, the atmosphere for a pay-per-view event back then, very different than anything now, like a television taping. It was electric. Now, I was not the biggest Goldberg fan in our group. So I was determined to get a Goldberg sucks chant going. And I did very successfully. You will actually hear this chant during the main event. Oh, uh, if you can remember how far into the main event, uh, let me know because right now I'm on the match before the main event because ladies and gentlemen is much as I, what I try to do my homework anytime we're talking about a pay-per-view, I try to make sure I watch it again so I can uh, re- kind of recollect everything uh, beforehand because this pay-per-view is 22 years old. And so when we're down in Orlando, of course, I didn't really have a whole lot of time for watching pay-per-views, unfortunately, because when we got home from either Disney or Universal – I was just go and just rest my legs because, dude, my hamstrings were on fire <laughs> when we would get done. So uh, the the first thing live with this event, um, one, the atmosphere, er, everyone was really excited for, for this card in the crowd. The first thing that comes out are the Nitro Girls. And granted, at this point, none of them wrestled, um, but that was a sight to see from 30 rows back. Was Stacey Keebler one of them yet? No, it was Kimberly Page. They had Fire, who was the redhead, Shay, who was the... 
um, the Asian girl. I think she was Korean. And then my favorite was the one in the middle, the Spice. And no lie, while I was at right after they had come out, I signed up to get a Nitro Girls WCW Capital One credit card. And I used that for four years. Wow, that's either a fan or a true son of a big time mark. Hey, <laughs> somewhere in between, maybe. So, um, it, it starts off the Nitro Girls come out. Um, they perform, do two things, and then the first match is a triple threat match with Juventud Guerrero. Guerrera, Rey Mysterio Jr., and Billy Kidman for the Cruiserweight title. And, wow, those dudes could really fly. Yeah, and one of the things that I was making mental notes of, because I was uh, catching bits and pieces of it while I was trying to get some work done today, because my first day back at work in over a week, was some of the spots they were doing the matches. I mean, they were fantastic. And back then, of course, nobody's really doing them. Now, it's one of the complaints we have about the present-day product where every match is doing them. Um, and But these guys were the originators of it, where you had Rey Mysterio jumping off the top rope onto Kidman and Hoovy outside the ring. And, of course, they catch him because that's what they do. But then later on, Billy Kidman did the shooting star press off the top onto the outside of the ring. Same thing where they caught him. And it was pretty impressive. And now you don't really see people doing the shooting star press like that. But I thought the match itself was pretty good. And it wasn't the way that any of the triple threat matches have evolved to where you have two of them kind of fighting in the ring, fight, 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 fight. The other one's laying outside the ring, literally like, oh, I'm catching my breath. And they get in just in time to stop a pinfall or a submission. But then they fight somebody. And so somebody else's turn to go outside the ring. And then when they come back in, the third person, it's their turn to go outside the ring. So the triple threat matches now I'm not a fan of. This one was good. And it, this had the, the three guys that were really true cruiserweights. Very, and and this was something we talked about this on other pay-per-view reviews or rebookings. It really started the crowd. So you got the Nitro girls who are essentially the warm-up, and then the first match is this, and it's it was exciting. It's exciting to watch. It, It. had a little psychology. They did sell the moves. Not not as much as you'd think for all the flying. But they finished with the roll-up where Kidman pins Hoobie with, with a roll-up, which we joke about. It's the most dangerous move in wrestling. It is. It wins uh, yeah, a lot. I don't think it wins 100% of the time. It may be about 50% of the time, but either way, you got, it could come out of nowhere. It, it's it's worse than the RKO as far as coming out of nowhere. It's more dangerous. So they, 
they have uh they have this match and immediately it goes into a post match angle where Eddie Guerrero comes out and he lectures Hoobie and Ray and challenges Kidman on the spot who of course accepts well lecture I don't know if that's <laughs> really the word uh, to use on that, I mean, he was flat out just tearing into him. Berate would be a good word. Yeah, berate would be a much better word for that. But, again, wrestling, what is it? It, it? It's a story between two guys, two girls, whatever, that are supposed to be fighting. And this, even in the crowd where you can't hear it as much, you realize what's going on, that that they're arguing, challenges them to a match, and away we go. We have an extra match on the card, and Kidman, that shooting star press, Back in 98, that was something, that was a sight to see. And he did it so smooth. And I'll tell you what, for this match not being, oh, wow, sorry, i got to interrupt just for a second. I'm, uh, I'm on uh, the Giant and DDP right now. And the Giant, yeah, that, this, this running power slam, or DDP came off the ropes and Giant hit him with a power slam, like a Road War Animal type power slam. And he did that picture perfect, and that it was pretty impressive. Anyway, but for Eddie Guerrero to come out there in his street clothes, he was wrestling in street clothes, and then later on he was wrestling with one boot on. And, in fact, the way he did that with the one boot where he untied it, and then it came off, you know, right after he hit him with the boot, he's like, oh, here, ref, I got I to gotta retie this. And, and some, a couple of the submission moves that he was putting on Kidman – I think this, even though it was an impromptu match, more or less, I mean, obviously they knew about it, but it, it actually, this is a match. If you were to show, okay, here's what Eddie Guerrero was capable of doing. This would actually here would be a match to show people. Right. Yeah. But you know, when Kenman hit that shooting star press, I mean, it was so smooth. And, and he it, just did just effortlessly and bam and over done. Now, Kidman, as a character, he was very bland. Yeah. He's wearing jorts and a a wife beater t-shirt. And his mic skills were okay, but they were also kind of, they were almost like a G-Wiz-Beave type of promo. But his in-ring skills were good, and... Obviously, the man knew how to talk at some point because who was he married to for so many years? Well, in the background, he could obviously talk because he somehow talked Tory Wilson into marrying him. Yep. And good for him. And good for him. God bless him. But uh, now the next match, and this is actually two guys that, to be honest with you, I was not as familiar with them. I mean, I knew who they were, but I wasn't familiar with them as what 
I probably should have been back in the day. And this actually shows how much um, I wasn't able to watch because I don't believe I had Monday nights off. I think my nights off then were Saturday and Sunday. So I wasn't able to watch Nitro as much as what I wanted. But Norman Smiley and Prince Iakea. And I thought this was actually a really good match. Um, so Norman Smiley, with you not being familiar with him, did his personality jump off the screen at you? Well, there was something that he kept doing that somebody, I'm not going to mention any names, Kyle, kept doing <laughs> at mine and my wife's wedding reception, Kyle. The big wiggle. Yeah, the big wiggle, you know, and the slaps and, you know, where my wife's uncle got up and grabbed his kids and walked out. I don't know if you know about that, but because we're like, dude, calm down, chill. But, yeah, because I looked at that, I was like, huh, that's where Kyle got it from. Okay. <laughs> but uh, Norman Smiley, though, I thought his, he's another, it looked like he was a submission guy. Because he was he was pulling some moves out that I was looking, I was like, wow, you know that's a pretty good move. And then Prince Ikea, um, he he looked pretty impressive to me too. And Prince Ikea wasn't. I always thought for some reason his dad was a wrestler, but I could be wrong. You're thinking of Curtis Ikea. I am thinking of Curtis Ikea. You're right. But, and I, I don't see any any indication that they uh, were related, so they might not have even known each other. One, um, we can't remember the alleged song that played at your wedding that started the Big Wiggle dance. Let me ride that donkey, donkey. Let me ride that donkey. Okay. But um, there was also a, a bridesmaid that contributed to the big wiggle. Would it be the big tall one? In my defense. Would it be the big tall one? Well, we have a a nickname for her. We have a nickname for her around here that I'm not going to, I'm not going to say because it's a family friendly show. But but there are photos of the, the little wiggle um, part of the dance. So I, I do have some, and I, I don't know who took them, but there there is photographic evidence of this occurring. Uh, you know, but, I actually don't remember who all was taking the pictures. Um, I, I do those of the wiggle. I, I am also not the only wiggler. I may have corrupted several other people on the dance floor that was not incredibly populated until somebody played baby got back yeah yeah <laughs> and, but anyway back to the back to the uh the pay-per-view but so uh, norman finally actually got more over later his personality was just coming out at, at this point and Prince Iakea, just good wrestler, but another one that no no promo, n- nothing. There's nothing special about it. Yeah, it, 
yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the match itself I thought was pretty good. And if oh. you notice that, you know, so far we've had three matches. And Four. no, you're uh, right. Three. Yeah, just three so far. And they've all three been clean victories. Well, I say clean. They were they were not disqualifications. They were not countouts. They were, you know, actual definitive victories. Well, th- this is also unique. Um, you had the first match end in a roll-up. The second match with this shooting star press. Just one shooting star press. Just one. And this third one, Norman Smiley, with the submission hold. Right. And he had, I want to say he had put the submission hold on him earlier in the match, but IK got his foot on the rope. And that I can, I can respect more than constant kickouts. I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, submission hold, you're not going to kick out. Um, yeah, if they get their foot on the rope, that's not killing the move. No. You know, that, that's, you know, that's saying, hey, they did it, but they, you know, they didn't have them in the right position in the ring. You know, so you could say, okay, you know, we'll try again because now they have to break the hole. Um, thought that match was good. And the next one, you, you look at the next one on paper, I'd watch this as a shoot fight. Perry Saturn and Ernest Miller. It's uh, another one. Ernest Miller jumps out a little more later in his WCW career, but he's partnered with Sonny Ono. And it, it doesn't seem to fit, but to make Ernest Miller a heel, you can kind of see where this is going. But right. the karate background, karate type moveset, and Saturn just throwing him around with suplexes, just brutal suplexes. Well, Saturn, obviously, you know, he had the shoot background, and Saturn being the former Armor Ranger, we mentioned him in our uh, top ten veterans, and I don't remember where he ranked, but I'll have, I'd have to look at that. Um, but both of these guys, I mean, are legit. And I thought this match was actually it. There were some parts in this match that I thought kind of moved slow, kind of plodded along. And I was like, "All right, come on, you guys, you can do a little bit better than this." And then all of a sudden, it picked up. And then it, when it picked up, it picked up. Now, the one thing I will say: now this was also a definitive. You know, Saturn hit. Hit him with the the uh, Death Valley Driver. Yes. Which, if you look at it, at it, I never thought about it until I was watching him doing this match. It looks very, very similar to Super Cena's AA, except for he actually goes down with it, whereas Cena more or less just kind of picks up. Excuse me. Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, Cena. More, no, thank you. Cena more or less picks him up and just kind of throws him. It's almost Cena's is almost like a suplex in a way, and not even a good one. I mean, it works, but it's like a fireman's carry. Okay, now I'm gonna throw you off. But 
Yeah, it's a fireman's carry slam. Yeah, and whereas Saturn, when he did it, he when he went when they went down, he went down more with them, so it gave it more of an impact. Yeah, but I didn't like. Part of it was Sony Ono coming in the ring and accidentally, uh, and you could see this coming a mile away when he accidentally kicked Ernest Miller and Ernest Miller kicked him back. Now, that part I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, how how funny was that watching it live? It was great. <laughs> but the match ended, a definitive finishing move. Because you know, it wasn't just that that kick. It was you know, Saturn grabbed him, got him in his move, pinned him, one, two, three, boom, over. And he only did his finishing move once. Because that's that's what a finishing move is supposed to be. It's a finishing move. And we jump to this the fifth match. And if there was ever a bathroom break in the middle of the pay per view, this was it. Guess what I did when this match came on? Literally. Exactly what I did in the live crowd. <laughs> It, I was trying to watch it, and it just was not piquing my interest. I was, even back then, uh, when I was able to watch, I was not very interested in the NWO B team. And at this point, they had the NWO Black and White, which these guys were part of. They had the NWO Black and Red, the Wolfpack. And... Uh, kind of a side story. At one point um, during the red and black, and kind of in my personal life, I actually had a part-time job working at Target. And it was a Target there in Columbia, right? And we had somehow, with the, the team I was on, they call us the flow team. We we're the ones who stocking shelves all day. We unloaded the truck, stock shelves. We somehow scheduled a softball game between us and the store in Ellicott City. <laughs> and so we had the softball game. It was on a Saturday. You know, and it was actually a pretty good time. And I happened to be wearing – I actually had an NWO black and white uh, T-shirt. And I wore it out there, and this is – it was not long after the whole split – when they had the black and white and then the black and red. And of course, the black and red were the, the faces. And I'm wearing this black and white shirt, and I hit a triple. In fact, I, I mean, I can tell you, I actually almost hit for the cycle twice. I had uh, I was one triple away from hitting for the cycle twice. But the one triple I got, I was on that base, and all of a sudden I hear, boo, boo, because their dugout was by the third baseline. And I just kind of hung my head. But I also got a triple, and one of the one of the home runs I got was a grand slam. So that was, that was a pretty good day for softball for me. Hey, but anyway, but but that's beside the point. But you're right. At this point, for what Scott Norton accomplished in Japan, and, and I guess he's split time here. For what he did in Japan, they didn't treat him very well in America. 
they misused him. Either that or they didn't know how to use him. Here's this big jacked up monster, and you're going to have him on the B team of this faction where there's already too many people. And, and that's, that's essentially what they were named was the NWOB team. And they didn't start cutting, well, trimming the fat till early the next year. But the NWOB team are the NWO job squad against two, two guys. Well, Fit Finley, obviously, very talented fan even back then. But Jerry Flynn, there's a random name you don't expect to see on a WCW pay-per-view in 1998. No. And, and you just had Ernest the Cat Miller, who was a legitimate karate guy. And you have... Jerry Flynn, who's essentially a taller, whiter version with less athleticism and the same moveset. Uh, and Jerry Jerry Flynn's all about Taekwondo. Same difference. Well. And, and you knew Jerry Flynn was essentially treated or booked as a jobber. And I can't, I can't recall watching an event where he won a match. Yeah, he does. I think he's another one. He had a move set that they could also use him a little bit more. But they didn't. And how do you change that? You know, this is, That's why we armchair book, but how do you change it? Do you leave him in there? Because he was the one who ultimately took the pin from Scott Norton when he hit that power bomb, where he almost drove him right through the mat. Violent, yeah, very violent power bomb. And even though a lot of things I've heard about Scott Norton, I've heard he actually did take care of people in the ring, and he uh, was known actually for being a pretty nice guy. Which um, you don't want somebody like that not being nice, you know, because he could probably you know, crack both of our heads like they're eggs. And he's the same guy, though, um, when he was in North Korea on that that really, really strange tour that the WCW did in North Korea. But Norton was on the phone with his wife, and he said, man, this place sucks. And as soon as he said that, click, they cut <laughs> the phone dead. But what are they going to do to him, though? That's about the most they can do. And if he walked in there, all right, who, who cut the line? You know they're all going to take off running. Well, they interrogated him. But they actually took it out on Ric Flair. It's going to be a tremendous episode of the Vice series, The Dark Side of the Ring, next season. Are they doing it? Are they doing that one? Yeah. It was oh, they're I had not. I have not seen the episode list for the next season of of the Vice series of Dark Side of the Ring, which is an excellent, excellent series. And no, we are not getting paid to show for that. I'm just telling you the truth. It is an excellent series that I recommend anybody watch. You don't even have to be a wrestling fan to enjoy that series. They've done a very good job on that. 
But anyway, but yeah, that match. To... I mean, they put it in the perfect spot. It was the bathroom match. It's right. I mean, it's dead smack in the middle of the card. It's number. It's match number five of nine. So it is the middle of the card. Because the the next four matches are great. The next four matches, I think, could have all four had main event uh, caliber or, or status. Uh, even the first one. Oh, well, no one. I don't know if you know. You want to say it's we're looking through present day glasses or not? But looking at Conan and Chris Jericho before he was Y two J Chris Jericho. Well. When he had Ralphus, he did have Ralphus. It's Chris Jericho and Ralphus, and that that was something to see. Ralphus was an entertaining dude to watch on the outside of the ring. He was, <laughs> and just a just a big goofy goofy bastard. They look like the common fan. Well, he, <laughs> he, he's Jericho's personal security, and Chris Jericho is a challenger here for the television championship, which is a great concept we should talk about here, who that's currently held by Conan. And this was yeah. a good match. We knew it was going to be – well, don't see the two names. You know it was going to be a good match. Well, the, the first thing, the concept of the television championship is something that is really setting AEW apart right now. I'm glad they it, brought it back. You, you have a title that is defended in a time limit and is – Almost always on your show. Yep. The first TV champion I remember was Tully Blanchard. He defended it every single week on Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling and Worldwide Wrestling because that was their you know, their sister show. I'd watch Mid-Atlantic Wrestling in the morning and then watch World Wrestling at night. And if I happened to miss the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling show during the day, I could also catch it at 11 o'clock at night if I was able to uh, keep my 10-year-old self awake. But he would say he'd put his belt up every single week. And not only if you won it, you not only got the belt, but you got, quote-unquote, $10,000 of his money. Yeah. But But the the one thing with the television title, the 15-minute time limit. Yeah, because it is 15 in AEW, isn't it? The the 15-minute time limit, uh, Steve Austin, and when he was a heel, would walk out on matches just to get a draw. William Regal as television champion, all sorts of different ways to escape with the title. Yeah, having time limits adds drama to the match. It adds to the story. And how how many Saturday nights do you remember watching, I can name a few, where 
like Bobby Eaton is wrestling for the television championship and you're right at what? It was 5.03 and it's going to end in two minutes and you're hoping Bobby Eaton wins the television champion because you, you don't like who holds the title. Oh, several times. And not just a TV title for that either, but uh, they had they had a few matches where it was Flair and Barry Wyndham. And they were doing 60-minute and then 90-minute Broadways. And some of the 60-minute Broadways were actually on TV. And it was a draw, and it came down to Barry would hit that lariat or he'd hit that superplex with like 10 seconds to go. And by the time he got over to Flair where he was able to lay his arm across him, there would only be one second left in the match. And Tommy Young, because it was always Tommy Young, would raise his arm to go hit the one, two, and three. And he'd hit one, ding, ding, ding. Oh, sorry. Show's over. Go home. But that, the nobody, I mean, you, and you did not see an empty seat. Everybody would stay and watch it because of the time limit. And you're like, oh, he's got to win it this time. And like you said, with the 15 minute time limit, even now, they want to, they want to see them do it because they're going. Okay, I can't leave because, you know, this thing's 15 minutes, and right now they're 10 minutes, and, you know, like you said, beautiful Bobby's got the advantage, and he could easily win this. I'm not getting up. I can hold. I can hold it for five minutes. This, uh, although our truth being a 417 time, 24 seven champion, he's a great character. The television title would be a better addition to Raw or SmackDown. You know, they've never had a TV champion, have they? They have not. The closest I can ever think of them having anything like that was, I think Cena was doing that where he was putting the U.S. title up every week. And then later on, AJ Styles was doing the same thing. And, and then, I don't know then, if Goldberg was trying to do a drop kick right there or what. Anyway. But the match here with uh, Jericho and Conan, fundamentally sound, very um, very much back and forth, where Jericho would have a couple minutes, Conan would have a couple minutes, and then they start hitting their signatures. Um, Jericho does the lion salt. And then he tries to cheat and hit Conan with the belt. And Conan plants him in the face against the back. And a underrated submission move, the tequila sunrise. That that was uh, very unique. I'd like to see somebody bring that. That's another move I'd like to see somebody bring back. It, it'd be something maybe an Andrade or I don't know if Angel Garza could pull it off, but someone of maybe even Dominic. There you go. 
I think it would probably make more sense if Dominic did it, if people knew the history between Rey Mysterio and Conan. The real history, yeah, they yeah the, the real history, yeah, the background of, of those two. We had talked about this. The the next match being a feud between Eric Bischoff and Ric Flair. And, and this is the year where they reform the horsemen. They guillotine Ric Flair in the Stark um, War Games match and, and essentially kill kill the War Games, kill North Carolina as a viable wrestling town. And there's personal animosity between Flair and Bischoff. Which was something that we didn't know was a thing until a little later on when you realize, oh, wow, these two guys, they, they really do not like each other. That made the promos even more real. But we we talk about greatness as a wrestler, who's who's the best wrestler, who's the best entertainer, da-da-da-da-da. Ric Flair carried a non-wrestler to a believable, structured, engaging, or entertaining match. Well, fortunately, Eric Bischoff does have a legitimate uh, fighting background, so that can add to it. It wasn't like he was... You know, an actual broomstick, or you know, some of the other ones that you know, you know some of the, like these celebrities that come in there and all of a sudden think I want to be a wrestler. But so Bischoff did have that going for him, and he was in pretty decent shape. But you're right, he is not, and has never, never has been a wrestler. He was probably trained on how to take some bumps because that's one thing I think. Anyone who is going to get into a wrestling match needs to actually have that kind of training to know how to take the flatback bumps because they're going to happen, and you have to know how to sell. And you and and I thought the, this match was pretty good. Well, it's Flair. Flair was not known for having bad matches. No. This. The the finish, and, and I I guess I'll just jump to the end. Can't believe I I can say Eric Bischoff beat Ric Flair. <laughs> well, it's going down like that, and. Well, Flair doing the job for him, more or less. But at the same time, yeah, Flair lost, but it was a, I guess, a, a tainted victory for Bischoff because he did use the, the international object, which may have been like a paper cup wrapped around his hand. But he used something, and he punched him with it, and boom, pinned him. 
Because what else, what finishing move would Eric Bischoff have? They couldn't even think about think about this in the video game that you actually let me and my wife borrow not long after we got our Nintendo 64, and then we ended up buying the game ourselves later on. But the NWO, uh, the WCW NWO Revenge for the Nintendo 64, every wrestler on there had a finishing move except for Eric Bischoff. Right. <laughs> the only thing he had was punches and kicks. That was it. I love that game, though. That was, that game was so awesome. To me, that is still one of the best wrestling games ever. And I'll put it against any other game out there. But the the whole match it 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 tells a again we keep going. It tells a story. There's personal animosity. They don't like each other. Flair starts off with the typical. I guess he's the face here. Um, if they're in D.C., yeah, that's close enough to Mid-Atlantic territory that, yeah, I would say Flair. Oh, well, yeah, of course, Bischoff is never going to be a face. So he, he uh, starts off right in the beginning with the with the chops and, of course, the crowd, myself included. Woo! Woo! The, the whole time. Then he attacks Bischoff's legs. Bischoff fights back with his little kicks because he's a karate guy. And Ric Flair, this is where he starts to become a comedy act. And it it got worse in the WWF later, but with all the low blows, like he hit him with three, almost back to back to back. I'll tell you right now, if for some reason I am ever involved in a wrestling match and they say, okay, at this point of the match, we're going to hit you with a low blow, I'm done. Not going to happen. It would only take one. Yeah, it it would only take one. You you don't need to hit somebody with three. In fact, I mean, that's just – no, you don't – no, not three. No. That's cringeworthy even, you know, just hearing the words. It's – so, low blow, low blow. Flair knocks down the referee and another member of the NWO, black and white. Kurt Henning comes down, gives Bischoff a weapon. Bischoff uses it. Flair goes down, one, two, three. Yeah. Ah. So out of every match that we've had so far, this is the only one where, yeah, there may have been some dirty things happening in some of the other matches, but this is the only one where the cheating actually was, uh, as soon as they cheated, boom, hit him, and that was it. He pinned him. So this one kind of has the asterisk beside it. But there was still not a disqualification, still not a count out. Well, this one... Like rebook this. Did Flair and Henning ever really have like matchups after Henning guillotined him in the War Games match? You know, 
I don't think they did because this this might have been during the time that Hennig was not wrestling because they had to hold Lloyd's the um the no, insurance thing. He was wrestling because Henning was the U.S. champion. That's right. He beat the night after war games. But why not put Henning and Flair together? Or make it a triple, not a triple, but a handicap. Maybe there was a reason why Henning didn't wrestle. Uh, this night. So I, I I would say like rebooking this, thinking out loud, Henning and Bischoff against Flair. Well, you know, stranger things have happened. Or maybe you get the Henning versus Flair with if Flair wins, he gets five minutes with Bischoff. And you know the funny thing about that, every time you have that where the stipulation is they get the manager for five minutes afterwards in another match, the manager always somehow went, manages to win the match. But wouldn't that make it this more believable? I think so. So I think either they had it set up to where Hennig just wasn't wrestling, just so we could come down and hand him the a foreign object, or maybe he was, maybe he had a legitimate injury. It's possible. Because when Kurt Hennig, he did have legitimate back issues. He did, but he was still wrestling and continued all into one of my favorite end of WCW angles the West Texas Rednecks. Whoa. I hate rap. Whoa. Rap is crap. So it's another thing that is for future discussion. But the West Texas Rednecks, that was that was pretty good. And here is another it's the West Texas Rednecks, and I know, yeah, we're jumping, you know, a year into the future here. The West Texas Rednecks are another example of why WCW eventually collapsed on itself. Because, yes, the West Te- the West Texas Rednecks were supposed to be heels, and they were having a feud with, of all people. Master P, yeah, the rapper. Who I mean, I do have respect for him because you know, if if somebody's celebrity and they get involved with the business and they have respect for the business, then I have respect for them. And so I do respect Master P as far as that goes. He got it, and he was, you know, he just wanted to be part of the business. I don't think, because he was not going to use wrestling to promote himself, because Master P was already known and he was already known for not just being a rapper but being a pretty sharp businessman on top of that because he was also getting into the world of being a sports agent 
like a legitimate sports agent. And because I want to say, wasn't he Ricky Williams' agent for a bit? His first one. Yeah. So he redid that contract. And, yeah, but when they had that song come out, and all of a sudden the song was being played on country stations. And it wasn't supposed to happen like that. They're like, wait a minute. These guys are supposed to be bad guys. Why are the people cheering them? And why are they playing their song on country radio stations? Well, for one thing, the song was catchy. I may or may not have walked around my apartment singing it. I may have had it on Winamp or whatever illegal. (laughs) (laughs) And I may or may not go look for it on YouTube after we're done. But... But yeah, but having Hennig as part of that, which a lot of people say, well, he's not even from Texas. No, he was from he was from Minnesota. He uh, his dad, of course, was Larry the Accenting. He grew up in Minnesota. He was best friends with Rick Rude. And this actually may have been during the time. This was not long after Rick Rude had passed away. And that's right, Hennig was wrestling because before he would do one of his finishing moves or, or certain moves, he would actually. Um, put his hands like behind his head and just do real quick hip wiggle in honor of Rick Rude because Rick Rude was actually one of his best friends. Right. But but he's actually a huge country music fan. That's why he was part of that. He wanted to be a part of it. But anyway, go back to this match. Part of the NW Black and White, I thought that if they were going to do that, they should have waited a while because he wasn't even in WCW that long when they pulled the whole thing where he's taking Arn Anderson's spot. And then the NWA came out and made fun of all of them. And then they had the pay-per-view. And then he slammed Ric Flair's head into the cage. And But they did it way too early. They should have waited until actually probably, you know, now or even later. But I, I actually liked the way they did it. For him, the issue I have, I think you foreshadowed with our side discussion. You do that to Flair with the cage. And where's the horseman? Where's the Flair get back? A heel does something dastardly. There has to be a canuppance. Randy Savage used the ring bell against Ricky Steamboat and they fought at WrestleMania 3. Right? Yes. There's a formula. Heel dastardly act. Face gets revenge. We all cheer it. It's basic psychology. And it doesn't even have to be for a title. Just the revenge alone, and you know nowadays they don't even label them as a grudge match because that used to be something you'd always see labeled. You see these matches. Oh, this match here—it's a grudge match. And it's just a regular match, but you, you put the label "grudge match" on there. You're like, oh, oh okay, I got to watch that because they're making it seem like it's special. And 
they don't really do that. And this right here would be a perfect example. You're right. They should have had Flair and Hennig had a, a program together. And no, once again, they dropped the ball on it. But but give me a second because here you go. You found it, didn't you? Of course I did. Okay, that, that's enough empty empty air, Kyle. Uh, oh, I uh, tell you what, we'll we'll worry about it a little bit later. We'll go. We do have to move on because uh, I do want to talk about the next match. Now, the Giant, also known as the Big Show, and uh, Diamond Dallas Page. This ended up being a pretty good match. Now, and, first. First side note, how good was DDP in 1998? And, and you know, at DDP, he's one of those weird teams. DDP was not supposed to be a good wrestler. But they had him as a manager, and he, DDP has a ton of charisma, great promos. And he, he became a wrestler because they're like, dude, you're taller than all the wrestlers you're managing. It doesn't look right. And then managers, you know, even though they still existed during this time, they just were slowly leaving. Because, I, And I think that's something they need to bring back is actual managers. And so he became a wrestler, and he didn't train for a wrestler. He was, what, like 36, 37 years old? Yeah, 36. And... By all of his purposes, he was not supposed to be good. But he became a very good wrestler. Now he's in the WWE Hall of Fame, even though he was only in the WWE for not very long. And they stuck him with the stupid stalker angle. Then they had him being like the motivational speaker type. They wasted him. But he's also extremely smart, and he's driven and one of the reasons he became so good is because he would watch matches of himself, not because he was a big fan of himself, because he said, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? He was, what do I need to improve? I, you know, he was always looking for ways to improve. And that's why I think he's such the motivational person that he is now is because he's always looking for ways to help himself improve. So he's looking for ways to help other people as well. And that's why he became so good because he put the work in and he, he earned it. I mean, not to sound just sappy and, and, you know, all clean cut, you know, boy scoutish, but he earned it. He worked his butt off. He, He truly believed he could accomplish it. Exactly. And then he, he went out and he did it. You know, Mick Foley even talked about DDP in his first book because he said, you know, he would actually have somebody uh, set up a video camera all the way at the back of the arena just to take his matches. And he said, wow, this guy a mark for himself. But then when he saw him actually watching the matches, 
he was studying himself to make sure if I make this mistake, I don't want to make it again. If I did this move good, I want to make sure I continue to do it that way. And that's why I actually have a lot of respect for DDP. His books are really good. His yoga program is is tough. But his match here with the Giant, uh, fantastic. In 98, like he, he had um, Goldberg at Halloween Havoc. And probably Goldberg's best match. Was that that the pay-per-view that got cut off because WCW were notorious for running things over? Well, they went long because Hogan would long. Ended up costing the company a lot of money. Yep. And they ended up playing the main event during Nitro the next night. Yep. And people got their money back. But he takes the Giant. The Giant at this point, kind of big and lazy. I'd say his motivation has gone down. At this point, he's going to join the WWF in February of, 99. Okay, I was about to ask when, because I know it had to have been not long after this. Of course, when this match happens, we don't know this. Right. The the Giant, he's had a smoking gimmick. He's been in the NWO. He's been out of the NWO. Back in the NWO, black and white. And then again, out uh, of the NWO. And and Russell's Page, and and Page is not a small man. No, he's not. And that's why they they said it's not believable for him to be a manager because he's bigger than all the wrestlers he was managing. Didn't make any sense. But he, he, he wrestles this match like he's much smaller than he is. And psychology-wise, the what'd you think about the choke slam backbreaker? I liked it. I thought it was an effective move. And it should um, be a fit. Yeah. The I'm telling you, the power slam that he hit. I don't. I'm, I'm not saying the big show never. Um, big show. John, the Paul White, the big dude. I'm not saying he never hit that power slam before. Obviously, because he looked like he had been practicing it. That power slam, the way he did that one. If you if you get a chance to go back and watch this match, which means you have to have the network, Kyle. And if you see that power slam, you would put this particular one up there. I mean, it wasn't completely flawless but I would still compare it to like the animals, Randy Orton, Dustin Rhodes, Cody Rhodes, you know, anybody that has that, that particular style of power slam where they're coming off the ropes and then all of a sudden, bam, 
And he's not going to do it as quick as them because, I mean, his size, he cannot be as quick as them. But he still nailed it. And I was like, ooh, he get in the match right there with that. So he, here's the problem. So match before Kurt Henning comes out interferes. We know how the last match is going to end. Why send Bret Hart out to interfere with the chair? Because now they're um, they're oversaturating, and even though this one backfired, obviously, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it didn't make sense, and actually, this is it's not it's the second consecutive match, and we know what happens with the, the last match, but there's also the one with Sonny Ono, Sonny ono interfering. Eddie Guerrero interfered in the first match. Um, What's-his-face, Hoovy was trying to interfere when Guerrero in the second match. So there has been a lot of interference in this card, but it kind of died down some until, you know, these last three, bam, bam, bam. And it was all uh, the NWO. Now, granted... The last match was NWO black and white. This match was NWO black and white. And the very last match, of course, is NWO red and black. And we know what happens the very next night. But we'll get to that a little bit later. And you're right. I, You know, I would not even thought about that, having all that interference. Because it didn't make any sense. He hit him with the chair, but then he, it's, not, it's not like he... It's not like Diamond Dallas Page pinned the Giant right away after Brett hit him with the chair. No. The Giant still got some offense in. And it was when Page countered it into the Diamond Cutter, or as you know, the, the younger folks refer to it now as the RKO. And to me, it, it'll always be a Diamond Cutter. Because DDP came first. But the way he countered that choke slam into the diamond cutter and boom pinned him, I was like, "All right, now that that was a good match." The interference, and, and was, the interference was not necessary, and it really didn't change anything. It, it didn't. It didn't help. It didn't increase the match. It's okay. Bret Hart doesn't have anything to do. What can we send him out to do? And that's when. Vince McMahon was absolutely correct when he told Bret Hart that you can go to CW, go to WCW, but I'm warning you, they're not going to know how to use you correctly. Right. And then we get to the main event. Which earlier in the night, they announced that this had been changed to a no disqualification match. Foreshadowing. Now, we- we don't know this in the crowd. Really? We do not know this. This is announced on television, but it's not announced to us. Ah, that had to have been a little confusing then. Yeah, when we get there. And crowd-wise, definitely, because, I mean, I was assisting, Goldberg is not getting the normal Goldberg ovation here. 
we had kind of gotten bored of Goldberg on television, plowing through everyone. Well, his record and, right now was 173 and 0, even though right. um, Michael Buffer said it was 174 and 0. So he he goes through. There's a lot of Goldberg sucks chance. There's a large part of the audience that is cheering for Kevin Nash. So that 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 is one. Um, well, the red and black were supposed to be faces. Well, they so, were. Yeah, so you had a more or less a face versus face match, but it was two guys who could have also easily been heels. And Goldberg's the ultimate baby face. Like, he's not meant to be a heel. Kevin Nash wrestled like a heel. But you go through, and the first thing, because I'm on the opposite end, I'm looking at the rampway. Bam Bam Bigelow comes out of nowhere. And why? How how long was Bam Bam in WCW during this run? Maybe maybe at that time, a month? Well, I mean, how long did his run even last? A little more than a year. And he didn't do much, which is a shame because Bam Bam was one of the best big guys ever. Yeah, but he was at the end. He had just finished ECW. And and that's the the sad thing is they put all their their life into the business and eventually body's going to break down. It can't do 300 matches a year for as many years as he did it. And and WCW, like, they're guaranteed, and this is the end. But he comes out, and that's the first thing, Bam Bam coming down, and he's starting with Goldberg. So all your attention is over there. And then you see, gosh, I don't know if you can count, on the screen, there's got to be like 12 security guys. Uh, there, all you saw were yellow jackets. Yeah, yellow jackets. Yeah. So you, you see all these guys, and we we don't like there is no announcing. You have no idea what's going on. You're just trying to watch. There's 12 guys, and you see one, one or two of them jump on the side of the ring. And then you just see Goldberg flop down. So you didn't actually see where Scott Hall hit him with the stun gun. You don't know it's Scott Hall yet. Ah, okay. Now, all you know is one of the security guards and Goldberg's down. Now, when oh. they do the replay, when they do the replay on the screen, then you see it. But live, you can't really tell. And you can't even really tell it's a uh, 
stun gun or a cattle prod is what I think it was. I've seen it being called both. And uh, I think stun gun is better, but then again, it was a nice big round stun gun, which makes it more like a cattle prod, which makes me wonder, where do people keep getting these cattle prods? And why do they keep leaving them under the ring, along with their kendo sticks? Right. It's clearly gimmicks, so it doesn't really mess with them or mess them up. Because a stun gun something else if you've been hit with one. Yeah. Uh, but shock him, Kevin Nash with the powerbomb, one, two, three. And the crowd, except for the guy I came with, and, and it, they were cheering. Seemed they were pretty excited to see Goldberg lose. At the very least, we were all shocked that Goldberg did lose. Well, obviously, you know, when we're talking about rebooking, you know, armchair booking, changes and things, Goldberg had to lose at some point. I don't know. Well, okay. Unfortunately, we know what happens 24 hours later with you know, in Atlanta, which I'm just in there looking, why in the world would they have the very next night have them being in Atlanta? That's not exactly right next to Washington, D.C. If anything, they should have gone to Baltimore or Richmond or somewhere like that. No, they put them all the way down Atlanta. The the finger poke of doom happened a week after that, eight days. I I thought it was the very next night. No. Oh, okay. All right. You're right. I'm looking right now. My dad had my had my dates all mixed up. I was thinking it was the very next night. And I so, and oddly enough, I was actually off that particular night, and I watched the finger poke when it happened because I was mad. Because at this point, I was I had become part of the internet wrestling community. I guess I don't think they were really calling it that then, but uh, I was actually going to websites and I was reading about all the stuff and. Um, and then all of a sudden they hand the, match, the belt back to Hogan, and I was like, really? All right, well, you know, it was nice knowing you there, WCW. Um, Goldberg losing, yes. So what did they do? And in, in hindsight, booking, of course, you create a stable of heels for Goldberg to defeat. Then you create the big match with Hogan for him to get the title back. Now, it never happened that way. But part of that is on Goldberg because he had a bat to break a window and he used his fist instead. And legitimately cut his hand and... Uh, did he? He didn't sever a tendon, did he? He injured his arm significantly, where he was out for four or five months. And at that point, that's your that's your guy. What are you going to do? Like, how how do you book around the injury? <laughs> Legitimately. Yeah, legitimate injury. Now, the question, and 
the million dollar question was Kevin Nash the proper guy to beat Goldberg here? And that's actually something that I'm. Yes, Goldberg, he had to lose eventually. You know? All right. Who else? Who else could have done it? Uh, I wouldn't want Hogan. Well, I didn't want Hogan with the title anyway, so he's already out. So Sting is not not at Starcade. Nope. And, and he's what NWO Red and Black at this point with Kevin Nash. Lex Luger is NWO Red and Red and Black. Are red and black. Yep. Um, Bret Hart is NWO white and black. He's affiliated, but he's not a member. He's like a friend of the family. But was, well, was, was he being booked well, well enough to be a title contender at this point? Well, see, WCW, they actually did something that the WWF would not do, is they would actually acknowledge that this wrestler had a past, and they were a very good wrestler in another organization. And so when they come here, you don't have to have them start from scratch. You don't have to have them build a brand new character like the WWF always did, and with very few exceptions. Uh, Flair came in, and he was almost immediately put in there. When Flair was in WWF, he was almost immediately put in the program with Hogan because he went after Hogan first. And then they said, well, it didn't draw any money. Well, y'all didn't put him in the right spots. You only put him in places where you knew that um, Flair wasn't necessarily as well known. If they'd put him in the South, it it probably would have drawn a lot more money. And they didn't really advertise, and they should have put it on pay-per-view, but that was WWF. I think they, they mishandled that on purpose. My personal opinion. But take who is on the card. There's not a single wrestler besides Kevin Nash and maybe maybe DDP in a rematch that could legitimately beat Goldberg at this point. Um, Let's see. Flair, no. Um... Jericho, he and Goldberg had already had their issues. Eddie Guerrero, possibly, but they wouldn't have done it because Eddie Guerrero was always with the cruiserweights. DDP, I think, could have, but we already know what was going on there. Uh, They already gave him a shot, and they went over over time because of Hogan and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, Brian Adams, no. Scott Norton, him and Scott Norton, actually, that would have been a pretty good match. But they, I think they did wrestle, and he beat Norton. Because they, they were mismanaging Norton anyway. Right, because uh, he's B-team. Finley in a shoot match, yes. But as far as this is concerned, no, Fit Finley was 
not a glorified jobber, a jobber, obviously, but uh, Fitz Finley always seemed like he was going to be like the top of the mid card. You know, great wrestler, great at putting guys over, give, always give you a great match, and legitimately tough. Conan? Not, uh, again, a member of the NWO Red and Black. That's right, he was. Uh, under Kevin Nash. Like, that's all, all they really had. Yeah, because in, in people that were part of the the show but were not in matches, I already said Bret Hart, uh, Scott Hall, there was no way they were going to get the title of Scott Hall. Because even when his promo earlier in the evening, when I was talking to my wife, I was watching that, I'm like, he was slurring a speech, and I was wondering, is, is that real? Or is that, you know, him kind of um, pretending to slur a speech? Because during this time, you didn't know. I mean, it, it could have been him being a little, uh, little messed up in the head before... Uh, you know, he came out there to do the promo, but he and he was just kind of swaying a little bit. But they they couldn't they couldn't rely on Scott Hall because you're not going to give you know you're not going to put the world title on somebody who you had to worry from day to day whether or not they're going to come to work sober. Right. Well, that that's the thing. Like, did they have to? There's nobody that was built up uh, enough as a single star on the heel or baby face side. And you look how the roster goes the next month and the sold out pay-per-view, which is the follow-up pay-per-view, Chris Benoit. Get his shot a year later. Van Hammer. Van Hammer. That's who we do it with. No. Because tell you what, in that WCW NWO Revenge, that game, I used Van Hammer quite a bit in that game because for some reason his move set in that game was a lot better than the actual wrestler was in real life. He was right. great he was great to use in that game. But anyway. This, if they do it right, if they did it right, like the NWO should have been done or should have concluded, and again, another podcast, how the NWO should have ended, Goldberg should have went through all all of them, ended with Hogan, and the NWO disbands. And you have WCW superhero to take you into the next millennium. To start 1999. And instead, they totally honk it up. And because, okay, you're right, it was eight days later. It wasn't the very next day. It was eight days later. Not only did they have the finger poke of doom, but that was also the same night, and I remember this, too. Because I was Tony, one of the- Yep, and so was I. Tony Schiavone said, oh, that'll put a lot of butts in seats, talking about Mick Foley winning the world title. 
and I immediately changed the channel to Raw. And you said you were the. They said there was a hundred thousand people who to me changed the channel. Five hundred thousand. Five hundred thousand. So well, we know who two of them are. And, and no, no shame. Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, no. yeah, I did it. Yeah, because I mean, and. Because I was already looking, going, this is stupid. They have him aggravated stalking. I was like, what the heck does that mean? That, and it was starting to get really, really almost con- kind of contrived. It was, it was getting bad. And so you're right, rebooking this. I, I would say let Goldberg keep the title for a little bit longer. Don't have Nash beat him. Break everybody up. Get rid of the NWO. Break them all up. You know, if you want to have factions, yes, but stop holding on to this faction when, you know, okay, it's past its usefulness. Oh, now we're going to split it off into two different factions. You know, now they're warring against each other. And by the way, now also we have Eddie Guerrero running the LWO. So we're going to have three world orders going on at one time. And... Okay, let's start getting rid of all the world orders, start moving on to something else, because, yes, you're 83 weeks right now. You're beating them in the ratings almost every week. That's about to change. And you're not going to be able to do it forever. Mike Tyson's coming, and he is going to help put WWF back in the lead. Even if it was on temporarily at first, but... But about the second or third time they got the lead, they never relented. They never lost it again. And we all know what happened. Think about this. It was about two years and four months after this pay-per-view that the WCW was no longer. I mean, just think about that. That's not a long time in the big scheme of things, especially at this time they were the ones winning. Less than two and a half years later, their whole company was dead. And you have to see why. Yeah. With the the booking, the finishes are. You started off okay, and then the more important the match got, the more shenanigans. And this card was actually a good card. The the show was actually good. I don't know, you know, watching it live. Did you think it was good? It was fantastic live. But how, like I said, how confused were you and your friends you were there with when all this was happening during the last match? And you were, why aren't they being disqualified? Because you didn't know it had been changed. No disqualification match. No That's idea. A, that's a foul on WCW for not making that announcement. But here's the big difference. You've been to the NCI Center, 16,000 at the and change at the one I was at. The following year, Goldberg, Bret Hart, 8,500. Was that the one where Goldberg um, ended Bret Hart's career? Yep. Were you there for that one too? No. So they had uh, a little over half the amount at that second one than what they did here. That's it. They went down that far in a year. 
and they can't say it was a bad year for wrestling like they could in 1995. This was 98 right here, 99. You're talking two of the biggest years in wrestling. So at this point, uh, we in 99, we are starting to get into independent wrestling a little more. WCW didn't want to go down. Friends are divorcing. Friend groups are like you guys are gone. Friend groups are changing. Yeah, we left. And we left. Um, this was in December. We left the following September. Yep. Um, it didn't take long for the product to go downhill. Hmm. And I mean that is a shame because and I was a WCW guy until they started with this, and I think it was actually the finger poke which made me go, "I'm done." You know, I'll try to watch it, but I'm done because they're going to go back to giving the title to Hogan, and even I can tell that Hogan was way past his markability. His markability prime, I guess. Because everybody knew Hulk Hogan was the biggest name in wrestling for years. You say name a wrestler to people who weren't a wrestling fan? Oh, Hulk Hogan. Okay. But his reluctance to give up the spotlight to anybody else has ended up causing other the companies which in which he was involved to lose money, to be honest with you. Well, I... I it all starts here, 1997, with the refusal to put over Sting. Just put him over. Cleanly, without the, you know, because I was actually watching that. That was the one and only WCW pay-per-view I actually bought in Maryland was that Starcade. And, yeah, I regretted it. But I was watching that match and I know this is, you know, a year before the Starcade that we're talking about on this particular episode. But when Bret Hart came out and stopped them from ringing the bell, I'm like, what are they doing? He said, I know what it's like to be screwed over. What is he talking? I, I didn't get it until later on you find out that Nick Patrick was supposed to do a fast count. And the rumor is Hogan told him, no, do a normal count. And, you know, he didn't want to give up the spotlight. Even right here, we know a week later when Kevin Nash is handing him the belt and then they're spray painting again with the NWO. Like, oh, they're going back to that again? Really? We, I thought and, we were done with that. NWO could have ended December of 97. Now you got two versions in 98. Three versions in 99. They tried another one in 2000 where they, Bret Hart's career was over. Ah, you know, no no wonder why things failed. Yep. Oh, well. Um, before we talk about next week's show, I, I promised I was going to have a, have a just a couple of AWOL stories uh, myself. One, kind of similar to yours, except for it wasn't me going AWOL. I was working my part-time job. This is when I was not no longer with Target. I was actually 
working the job that I worked with Rich. And um, worked all day, and I actually had that night off. And you know, for for the Air Force, got home and my answer machine. And kids at home, if you don't know what an answer machine, go Google it. And it's blinking. My caller ID light is blinking a lot, and I had a lot of missed calls. And I'm like, okay, and I start playing my messages. First one, message said, "Hey, Steve. Uh, I mean, uh, Aaron Barber. This is uh, Sergeant Hayes." Uh, need you to call back as soon as you can. And I knew, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, ah, oh, great. It, you know, it was a, your analysis. Next one. Hey, Aaron Barber, this is Sergeant Hayes again. Uh, just give me a call when you get this. Next one, same thing. Only he's a little more frantic. And I could tell that they're being spaced apart. And about the last call, it was, hey, Steve, this is Martin. Where the F are you? And I call him, and it, it was... You know, Sergeant Hayes, I don't know if you remember uh, Martin or not, but yeah, he was a good guy. Um, I called him. I was like, hey, dude. I said, I just got home. He's like, don't worry about it. He said, I marked you off as no, you know, no contact. He said, you, you know, you're not in trouble. Because, you know, missing your analysis was a huge deal. Right. You know, but, but he couldn't get a hold of me. So, I mean, it was, wasn't my fault. I, I was, it was on my off day. You know, even if I wasn't working on a part-time job, I didn't have to be at my apartment. Um, the second one was former supervisor I had named Christy. She was on leave. Same deal like with yours, though. They couldn't find her paperwork. And next thing you know, they're calling me looking for her. I'm like, why would I know where she's at? You know, I'm like, she's my supervisor. That's it. So y'all don't call me looking for her. Right. And And then... The third one, this is actually definitely not me, even though I was kind of partially involved with it. And this is years later when I was stationed in England. And at my first, uh, the first unit I was at in England. And one day we had a, uh, we had a commander's call. And I actually didn't have to go to the commander's call because I was also a facility manager and our head facility manager kept scheduling me for like maintenance type stuff that was easier to do during the commander's calls when there was nobody in our building. Um, even though I eventually tell them, had to tell them to stop doing that because I was actually missing out on stuff that during the commander's calls that I need to know about. But I had this uh, young female airman. She walked past me and the other guy I was there with. And the guy looked her and said, hey, uh, so-and-so is looking for you. And she's like, oh, okay, whatever. Then she came back up to me and this guy and she's like okay she's like I don't know how you know who I am she's like but because I don't know you and, and she was brand new she had been there like two three weeks and I'd never even seen her before and she's like but I need you to tell sergeant so and so that I'm going to sit call and um, I probably won't be back the rest of the day because I'm, yesterday I'm going home because my some something she was said she was sick all right, cool. So um, about an hour later, commander call in, ends. They all come back. I saw uh, this girl's supervisor. I was going to say, hey, you know, Karen, that was, that was the girl's name, uh, her supervisor's name. And she and I were the same rank, so I was 
calling her by her first name. I was like, hey, Karen, this airman. And the girl's uh, last name was Munden. And it's actually a, um, normally I don't give the, the last names, but, you know, this is the second time I've done it this time. But um, I said, hey, this airman Munden girl, you know, she says she's going to sit call. You know, and she said after that she's going home. And Karen's like, oh, all right, thanks for letting me know. All right, cool. Later on that afternoon, Karen and our first sergeant come into my office and say, hey, what did you tell me that Airman Munda was going? I said, she told me and dude that she was going to sick call. I'm like, why? What's up? And they said, she never made it. She never made it to sick call. So then they started doing some masking around. This was on a Friday. And because commander's calls were uh, for us were always on a Friday. And they said, wait a minute, isn't that concert, you know, somebody was playing a concert tomorrow in London? And wasn't she going to that? And then somebody else was like, yeah. And they're like, she's there with um, some of the other people who actually had the foresight to take leave. Uh, and actually, I don't think this girl, because she was in training, she actually wasn't allowed to take leave yet. And they said, well, hold on. They're like, I'm not going to call her cell phone. I'm going to call one of the other one's cell phones. So they call the other one. Hey, is Munden there with you? Yeah, put her on the phone. And they told her, they said, you are to get on the tube, you know, meaning the, the train. You are to get your butt back back here within three hours. Then all of a sudden they said, wait a minute. Have you been drinking? Yes. You are to stay there overnight. You are to come back here in the morning. And personally, I would have booted, I would have recommended they boot her out. But no, they, she got a letter of reprimand, which was actually pretty bad. And she had to scrape like some of the, the – Dirt and grime off our sidewalk in front of our building for 30. That was her 30 days extra duty. But it also led to the joke of, hey, where's Munden? She's in London. <laughs> so <laughs> so that became the joke for a while. You know, I said, hey, where's Munden? She's in London. You know, um, yeah, I don't, that girl, she got out. I mean, she only did one of this when she was done. <laughs> yeah, the, the military was not for her. She's going to be pulling stunts like that when. She only has two stripes. And her tech school was a very, very long tech school because she had one in California, then another one in Texas, then another one in Nebraska, all before she even came to her first duty assignment. Oh, and she spent a little bit of time in, in Washington State as well. So, you know, Sasha, I think she may have actually already been a senior airman by the time she uh, came out to uh, England. But... Yep, so, and those are my stories. So, uh, next week, and I actually have this one written down, and this is as far as we go as far as podcast topics. I have it written down as top ten comebacks. From injury? You know, I don't think it... A comeback is necessarily injury. A comeback could mean that maybe they had, like, a down period. Okay. 
you know, or maybe they were just out for whatever reason or, you know, and yeah, injury is probably the most common reason. Career rejuvenation. Career, yeah, exactly. All right. So make sure I get Brock Lesnar, Hulk Hogan on my list. I'll make sure that I have them not on my list. And then, uh, of course, Merry Christmas to you guys. Merry Christmas to you too, Kyle. I just have to say, I mean, even though 2020 has been one of those wild years, uh, I was even talking to my boss's boss today about 2020, and because I was holding my holding some Chick Fil A in my hand, and I mentioned to him, I said, you know, this is this is supposed to be God's chicken, and then Popeyes tried to get into the mix. I said they tried to compete with this. I said, and that's how 2020 started, and that's what it led us to. Because of that right there, yep. and and he was laughing. I said, yeah. I said, remember? I said the, the they had the wildfires down in Australia. Everybody's forgotten about that. That all happened in 2020. You know, un- unfortunately, we lost Kobe Bryant and his daughter. That happened in what February? Yeah, it, it pretty much every month. It's just been something else. Yeah, I mean, how long ago does that seem now? You know, it seems like it's been years, and now we, you know, we have this the pandemic ha- hitting on us, and we have all the riots and all the election stuff. And in the middle of all that, we managed to get a podcast going, and we seem to be picking up people even slowlier but surelier, and it's coming along pretty well. And we are very thankful for our audience. We're on a very, very grateful to the people who've been helping us out, like Jordan Garber. I'm going to give him another shout-out. And well, one of the things about the end of this year, about 2020, and I don't know if you've ever seen the movie 1408 with John Cusack, Samuel L. Jackson, where it's a Stephen King story about a haunted hotel room or a possessed uh-huh. hotel room. You ever seen that? Maybe. Um well, I mean, I'm going to give a spoiler, so if you if you don't want to hear a spoiler, well, just touch your ears. Uh, near the end of the movie, you know, after he goes through this, this stuff, I mean, he's just being tortured by the room, and then he looks like he makes it out of the room, and he's chilling on a beach, and his daughter, who had passed away, all of a sudden she's back, and he's like, oh, okay, so that never happened. And, you know, and it seems like this has gone on for a couple months, and then all of a sudden, boom, he's back in the room again. And the phone rings, and it's like the hotel, like the automated voice. It said, that was the first hour. Would you like to go for more? And if that happens, if all of a sudden, you know, this at the end of 2020, it seems like everything's going good, all of a sudden, boom, we revert back to the beginning again. If we heard that was, that was just the first hour, don't be surprised. You know, act like it was just good, like it was supposed to happen. 2020 is Groundhog Day, every day. Every day. Because, you know, the stay at home for two weeks, the two weeks of whatever they called it at the time, well, that's now been like 250 days. I have to look at my cousin's status. He posts that crap every day on Facebook. But I don't know if he listens or not, but he knows I love him. But, yeah, he posts that almost every day. Um, But anyway, give him a shout-out to – Jordan, 
and I'll have to let him know that we've been giving him shout-outs. Uh, hopefully this actually comes Saturday. There's an indie show here. I may actually get to talk to Selena Dean in person. I'm going to have to hit her up and let her know I should be there. My son wants to go as well. And I want to give another plug for her GoFundMe for her mom, for uh, for the GoFundMe to raise money for uh, her mom's breast cancer treatments. Just go to GoFundMe and actually just look up Donna, Donna's Chemo Fund. If you still need the link, let me know, let Kyle know, and we will definitely hook you up with that link. We'll hook you up with the information. So next week, Kyle, like I said, top ten comebacks. It could be an injury. It could just be a career rejuvenation. But I think it should be a pretty good show. All right, man. So any any last words before then? Nope, just Merry Christmas. Talk to you next week. Yep, and we wish everybody out there a Merry Christmas, and Merry Christmas to you too, Kyle, and tell your family that we said hello and Merry Christmas as well. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. All right, dude. See ya.